The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. The Gospel is indeed from St. John, the 20th chapter. It is found on page 1686 in your pew Bible. John 20, 19 through 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came, and he stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord, and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. It is the second Sunday of Easter. And last Sunday we celebrated, we rejoiced that the Lord has risen. He has risen indeed. Hallelujah. And 
we know through our reading that he had appeared to some. And that brings us to today, which is annual roll Thomas and back up the bus over him day. There are people in this world that have never picked up a Bible, but they have heard about doubting Thomas, right? And the fact is this, that this label is inaccurate, and it really is unfair. Last week, our gospel was Mark 16, 1 through 8, and that's when the Marys and other women went to the tomb to take care of the body. And when they got there, as we remember, the, uh, the tomb it was rolled back, right? And they went in, and there was an angel, and he told them that Jesus is not here. He has risen. And this is also uh, historically accounted in Luke chapter 24. It tells the whole story. But there's one part I want to focus in, in Luke 24, verses 10 and 11. And this is what it says. It says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who were with them who told these things to the apostles. What did they tell him? I'm going to pause here. They told him, his body's not there. The stone's rolled away. An angel said he's risen. So that's what they told him. Verse 11, but these words seem to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. Did you catch that? They, meaning the apostles, did not believe the women. And at this precise moment of time, the disciples were not just doubtful, every one of them, they were flat-out unbelievers. What do we call an unbeliever? A pagan. These guys didn't get it. They were unbelievers. So, Thomas missed out on an appearance of Jesus the first time, right? And he says this, unless I see his hands in the mark of the nails, I don't think he talked that way, but I'm going to, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my, high, my hand on his side, I will never believe, right? Can you just kind of see that? That's not fair of me. But he was skeptical. He was in unbelief. He was not just a doubter. He was a pagan unbeliever as well. My point is this, that he is no better and no worse than any of the other apostles. They were all unbelievers, not just Thomas. So I ask the question, why does Thomas get the bum rap? Why does he carry the label through time, doubting Thomas? Centuries. Why don't we call him pagan Peter? Or unbelieving James? Or Matthew the infidel? The fact is that 
every single one of them was lacking belief until they saw Jesus. And the fact is, is that the entire crew failed miserably. The disciples, they were an embarrassment as students. And that is what makes some of the other things that happen in today's gospel truly amazing. Listen. First of all, Jesus shows up among them, and the words out of his mouth were, peace be with you. He had every right to scold these disciples of him, these, these students. He could have said something like, good one, geniuses. I told you again and again and again that I would suffer and that I would die and that I would rise from the dead. He could have said, I've seen rocks next to the road that have better understanding of my words than you do. He had every right to come on them like that, but he did not. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. John 20, verses 19 and 20. Jesus not only gave them his peace, but he even invited them to check out his wounds of the crucifixion in his hands and in his side. He was full of grace. He was full of friendship. He had no, none, zero, zip condemnation for them at all. Now, if that's not truly amazing enough, our Lord Jesus turned it up just a few notches. And he said to them again this, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. With these words, Jesus said that he is an apostle. And we know that apostle means a sent one. Just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So Jesus is saying that he is the apostle from God the Father, and in turn, his words appointed this group of underachievers. He appointed them as apostles, as the sent ones. They are now sent from God the Son. Then Jesus gave them special authority. You heard that. 
when I read that he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And Jesus has just given the Holy Spirit to this small group of disciples and given them the authority, the authority to forgive and the authority to withhold forgiveness. Okay, let's just think about this for a minute. That's a lot. A few days earlier, Jesus endured a false arrest, sadistic abuse at the hands of soldiers. He went through several rigged trials where creatures, creative persons, human beings, had the the gall to examine the perfect Lamb of God. He endured beatings and floggings and mocking and then death by the crucifixion. And during this process of abuse, he also endured the full wrath of God that was put against your sins and my sins and all of the sins of the entire world. And he did this in order to procure the forgiveness of sins for you. And he has taken that dearly won forgiveness of sins and he has placed it in the hands of this group of underachievers. I cannot overstate how strange and how wonderful and how amazing and how bizarre and how unusual this is that Jesus would place his forgiveness in the care of these men. Men who a few hours earlier in the day had refused to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. Jesus has also given his forgiveness to the church. He has given us what we call and is listed in the small catechism between the covers, the authority to forgive sins, and it's called the office of the keys. Luther said there were two sacraments, holy sacraments, but I've been told that this is, would be Holy Sacrament 2.5. The office of the keys, the forgiveness of sins. What is it? Well, in the small catechism, the question is asked for you and for me. It says, what is the office of the keys? The office of the keys is that special authority which Christ has given to his church on earth to forgive the sins of repentant sinners, but to withhold forgiveness from the unrepentant, as long as they do not repent. Well, where is this written, you may ask? Well, it's also written, that question, in the small catechism. This is what St. John the Evangelist writes in chapter 20. The Lord Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. John 20, 20, 23. So what do you believe according to these words? The response is, I believe that when the called ministers of Christ deal with us by his divine command, in particular when they exclude openly unrepentant sinners from the Christian congregation and absolve those who repent of their sins and want to do better, this is just as valid and certain even in heaven as if Christ, our dear Lord, dealt with it himself. Did you know that we exercise this authority earlier in this service when you heard me say, upon this confession, I, by the virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As your called and ordained servant of Christ, and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You hear that every Sunday at the beginning. And these words are so precious. These words are so valuable that even if the rest of the service, <laughs> whew, I almost said it, is a total bust, if the sermon is dull, if the hymns are hard to sing, if the choir, and Lord, from my lips to your ears, we would love to have a choir, if they're out of tune, no matter what goes wrong in the rest of the service, it is worth it to come to just hear those words of forgiveness. For in these words of forgiveness, you receive the very forgiveness that Jesus gave to those underachieving dunderheads on the very day that he rose from the dead. There is great comfort for us in today's gospel reading. All of us have messed up. We all fall regularly. And this is a characteristic that we share with the disciples. We know that Peter was notorious for sticking his foot in his mouth. And we know that Jesus sometimes referred to James and John as sons of thunder because of their temperaments. All of the disciples said they were ready to die for Jesus. And then they ran away, all of them. Today's gospel tells us that they were in a locked room out of fear. And when 
you or I consider our shortcomings and your failures and my failures, we can know that we are not all that different than the disciples. And just as Jesus came to those disciples with his peace and his forgiveness, he also comes to you today. The forgiveness that Jesus earned, he earned on the cross, it's for you. And today's gospel teaches that you receive it. You receive it when you hear the words of absolution from your pastor. And other verses in Scripture teach that you also receive forgiveness whenever you hear the gospel of Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. We have the promise of Jesus, the promise of Jesus Christ himself, that we receive it in the water of holy baptism, that we receive forgiveness in the bread and the wine that are his body and his blood in the sacrament of the altar. Jesus comes in all of these ways to bring you peace and to bring you forgiveness of sins. We're almost done. Martin Luther once preached this. He said, It is a great and excellent thing for the mouth of every honest minister and preacher to be Christ's mouth, and for his word and forgiveness to be Christ's word and forgiveness. Now, if you sin and you confess it, believing on Christ then your minister and preacher will forgive you the same sin in Christ's place. And the words, the words which he speaks on God's behalf, you ought to accept as if Christ himself had spoken them to you. That's an amazing thing that Jesus has promised to deliver the forgiveness of sins, to deliver the goods, the forgiveness of sins, through the mouths of sinful men who are nevertheless called to be pastors. Just so you know, I don't consider myself any different than any of you. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior that got a special call. That's it. And this is an amazing thing because an honest pa pastor knows more than most <laughs> how sinful he is. He knows that he is not worthy to utter these words of forgiveness. Regardless, though, this sinning pastor can cheerfully forgive the sins of his people because it is Jesus who makes the promise. It is Jesus that forgives. The pastor 
is only the humble servant who brings the gifts of Jesus to God's people. What an amazing peace. What an amazing forgiveness. What an amazing Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen.